Welcome to Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the promise of clean energy. This program brings you leading voices in solar and energy storage and sectors impacting renewables, exploring challenges and solutions for industry growth, the true cost of operating and maintaining power plants, and system asset management considerations. My name is Josh Corbett. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. Welcome. Today on Power Players, we're going back to a familiar topic, the cost of O&M uh, and what's happening in the marketplace today. So we have Layla uh, Garcia from Wood McKenzie. Layla is responsible for wind and solar operations maintenance market research for the American region within WoodMac Power Renewables. She brings more than a decade of significant experience in the renewable energy industry in both mature and developing markets from Denmark to Brazil and even Mexico. Prior to joining WoodMac, Layla worked as a marketing leader for Vestas, as well as marketing manager for GE Renewables in Mexico. She is Brazilian, but currently lives in Vancouver, Canada and holds multiple degrees. The first one being an engineering degree from PUC University in Brazil, that's a Pontificia Universidad Católica, and a master's in renewable energy from uh, Germany, Karl von Ossietzky University of Oldenburg. Layla, welcome to Power Players. I hope I didn't, you know, like brutalize any of those words too badly. If if I did, feel free to say them correctly for everybody now so that they can get uh, your background correctly because we are lucky to have you. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad to be here. And uh, you did everything fine. You, you <laughs> read all the names correctly. So kudos to you. <laughs> it's it's you know when you're trying to read these these things out, it's so easy to just get twisted up, right? So oh, yeah. I'm constantly trying to get these right. So many languages, right? Portuguese, German, They're, and yeah. English. So yeah, and it's English. a mix of everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, Thanks for having me, Michael. Thank you for for joining us on Power Players today. So we're going to talk today about costing. And, and I think there's been a number of things that have happened globally right now. Everybody's aware, you know, we're facing a global recession while at the same time we've got some significant inflation in real real wages and a lot of our goods and services. We've got uh, inflation uh, driven by not just the cost of fuel, but by supply chain issues globally and things that are happening globally and within the United States. But we're not going to have time today to solve the world's problems. So let's just talk about the U.S. market for today's purposes. Tell me a little bit about what you think. Where do you think costs and pricing are going for O&M services in the United States today and why? Yeah, sure. Um, so unfortunately, we cannot solve the world problem here today. I wish we could. <laughs> Um, but um, we've been um, surveying the the O&M solar industry for a long time now. Uh, we've been publishing uh, reports about solar O&M uh, for more than five years. And what we've been seeing over the years is that pricing has been going down very consistently. Uh, so we decided to do a bottles up approach, a model where we see what is the true cost of solar O&M. And uh, what we found out is that cost is not expected actually to decrease any further. It's actually, it's going to increase with time just because it's based, uh, the, 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 the O&M solar service is based on labor. And labor, I don't think it's about to decrease anytime soon. 
Do you know what percentage? I mean, from y'all's perspective, when you look at it, and I and I have my view, and I'll be happy to share it as well. But yeah, let's compare. Well, yeah, let's compare, right? Uh, but what do you guys see? What percentage of costs on a typical O and M contract you see being labor? Yeah, so we've done an analysis, a global analysis, and for the U.S., an average of seventy percent is labor, and thirty percent would be equipment slash spare. Yeah. I, you know, so my number that I throw out there, just, you know, completely independent is 60 to 70% are inflationary costs. Most of that being the vast majority being labor. Yeah. So I don't think we're very far off. Very much aligned there. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, So, so having said that, um, when we, um, when we model uh, those numbers over the next 10 years globally, but again, let's focus on the U.S. today. Um, we also do a survey with the main players uh, in the industry, including Origis, mm-hmm. and um, the prices that we have seen in the industry, they are very close to the actual cost. So one of the, the, the main concerns and takeaways from, from, uh, from this exercise is what, how are you guys going to remain profitable if the asset owners are expecting further co- uh, price decrease, if the cost is not about to decrease. So, so taking the asset owner side of things for a second, why do they care if their O&M is profitable? Shouldn't they just grind away at the cost until they get the lowest cost? And then if the O&M operator goes out of business, they just can go find another one. Can't they just do that? Like, why not? I mean, I, I've seen that in the marketplace. That seems to be a prevailing uh sort of approach uh and so i'm asking this that way because you know i'm curious you know if i'm that owner and i'm approaching it that way why shouldn't i yeah so um asset owners they have been behaving that way so what they really want to see is a very low figure for dollar per kilowatt per year Uh, and they have been squeezing uh service providers to get to this number and that's a very interesting conversation that i want to get in but uh just answering your question right away here, why do they care? It's because they are also interested in getting very high quality services. And for that, you need qualified technicians. And to have qualified technicians, you have to pay them well, and uh, you have to have some systems in place. And this all require investment, and that ultimately reflects in in, in the, the price you give to your client, right? I think so many owners have looked at it from too too much from their from just a financial perspective. But the reality is is that if they are going to hit the production on these sites that they've modeled, if they have any hope of doing it at all, right? Part of that means people have to be really well trained, really familiar with the site and they have to get to those issues very very quickly. Mm-hmm. If you are constantly churning through service providers and churning through employees, chasing a dollar, what you're going to get is service providers and employees that are not familiar with those sites that cannot resolve those issues as quickly as they as they can. And that is going to come out in the production and in the in the you know financials of those facilities. So I think it's really in their best interest to make sure that they provide a contract that allows some stickiness, not just for that service provider, but for that service provider's employees. That's correct. And, and that's something that I believe it's uh, our job to, to change the way uh, we 
compare things. We have to compare apples to apples. Uh, so you go when you go to an industry event, it's very common that people just you know like okay, so how many, uh, how much are you paying for your your project? Oh, I'm paying three dollars per kilowatt per year, and I'm like, and the other person says, mm -hmm. oh, I'm paying like six, so I'm paying the double. So I'm gonna go back to my service provider <laughs> and tell him that I want this three dollars. What is not the same? It's but not the they, same. Come on, this were, is exactly the same, right, Layla? No. <laughs> but they were not, not the considering is the size of the project. So whenever you go to from, uh, I don't know, from a commercial, uh, because it, at Wood Mackenzie we have this methodology where we have uh, DG is considered anything uh, lower than one megawatt, and then utility scales everything up uh, five megawatts actually. So uh, we see a decrease from commercial and industrial to utility scale of more than 60% sometimes in terms of costs, right? Uh, increase? So of decrease. Uh, decrease, so yeah. of, that's economies of scale, right? So why you, do you, why do you attribute, what do you attribute that to? You say economies of scale, but what specifically do you attribute that to? So I have my opinion about why you get different costs at different levels, and, and I'll, I'll weigh in on that in a second, but what do you attribute the economies of scale that Woodmac and you guys see when you model, you know, going from DG to you, what you call utility scale projects, which I think you said was five megawatts and bigger. Yeah, uh, when a service provider uh, has a certain uh, a certain volume of megawatts under asset management, uh, they are able to distribute their uh, labor force more efficiently uh, over those projects. So they are able to dispatch certain technicians in a certain time to those projects. And of course, that will reflect uh, in, a, in a better price for uh, the final client. And yeah. also in terms of um, equipment investment, you, if you have in a certain area, you have um, a more uh, megawatt, a high megawatt density, you can use the same equipment over those uh, several projects. Do so you find that do you find that customers do standardize and use the same equipment across projects in an area? Uh, you mean the ones that are self-performing or just period? Do you do you see the industry sort of uh, thinking about that and standardizing equipment in tight geographic areas? Because I have to be honest, I don't. I see them just buying whatever the cheapest thing is at the time, and you end up with this heterogeneous mess that you yes. then have to figure out how to service, which means the people that show up have to not just be an expert on that site, but they have to be an expert on every possible iteration of every site that's in their geographic region. Yeah, you're talking about uh, like the, the, the modules and panels. Yes, uh, so I believe we are starting to, to, to have this uh, kind of more uniform approach. Uh, we've seen some initiatives uh, from module suppliers where they are kind of, okay, let's do a one size uh, kind of module where we can uh, have a more standardized uh, uh, kind of uh, supply chain. Yeah. Uh, but we are not there yet. But although there is hope in the end of the tunnel, just because um, we are seeing some conversations around it, and uh, that's a good starting point at least. Yeah. You know, I and it's and I think from the own and the operator's perspective, it's you know the panels are not as big of a driver. It's really like the inverters, the quality of the manu, you know, the construction of the plant, and you know, then trackers, and then sort of your DC field and combiner boxes. Yeah. You know, as much as you can standardize those in a portfolio, if you're an owner, whether it's a geographically dense or whether it's a bigger portfolio, the better off you are because it allows you to flow those technicians between the sites more efficiently and and no one 
no matter how good they are, can be an expert at every inverter they ever see. That's no right. one. No one can have training from every inverter company for every inverter that they ever run across. It's it's a, it's an impossibility. So, you know, as usual, when you have these complex problems, the more you can simplify them, the better off you are. And this is an area where the simplification must start at the procurement point, right, with the developer. But I believe that the industry we is starting to really feel the pain now. Um, in 2000, for 2022, uh, Wood McKenzie is expecting that the U.S. Uh, solar market will reach 140 gigawatts of installed capacity, and that's uh, distributed generation and also utility scale. Yep. But by 2030, uh, we forecast more than 530 gigawatts of installed capacity. So uh, we are going to have four times of what we have today of cumulative uh, volume uh, of uh, solar installations. And that's when we, if the industry doesn't work together uh, to really make the operation and maintenance of those solar projects easier, uh, we are going to feel the pain uh, in a few yeah. years. Um, well, so that's why I, I say that we are just starting conversations about that now, but I believe um, we are in the right direction. And owners, you know, they, our owners reach out to us all the time, concerned about the labor that they have on the site, the level of expertise. But going back to something that you just said, and then after that, I want to circle back on something else. But you said 130 gigawatts going to 530 gigawatts by 2030. Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. So thinking about that kind of growth, that is a seven, you know, roughly seven year period from today. We're halfway through 2022. It's hard to believe that yeah. we are. And so, that means that we have to have four times the number of fully trained, qualified technicians in seven years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you are efficient, if uh, service providers are efficient enough and you are able to kind of, yeah, share this labor through different sites. Yeah, right. but approx between three and four, I would say. Yeah, right. So beyond inflation in the broader inflationary market, inflation on on parts and services and 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 goods and things that that are reflected in sort of like the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers, there's another issue here, which is the bidding up of labor because of because the growth rate of the industry means by definition, you have to constantly pull in expertise and labor either from adjacent markets that has equivalent skill sets that are transferable Correct. or at the lowest level and then train and give them experience to make them better. All things which cost money and those individual technicians within the market, when they gain that value and gain that experience, now have a fungible experience, a fungible basis of knowledge that they can, you know, monetize. Of course. So that means they're going to be looking around saying, who's going to pay me more now that I know more to continue to do what I do. And so that means that inflation in labor and solar is going to outpace. Exactly. For different factors, as you just explained, for different reasons. Um, and again, uh, when a, a, an asset owner is looking for a lower dollar figure, uh, they are actually putting their own uh, solar power plant performance in risk at they risk. Because one, um, if they are not including uh, all the activities that a solar power plant needs to perform well, uh, the, the, those costs, they're going to have eventually to face those costs. And if it's not within the service agreement, you don't have a performance warranty in place, for example. So you're going to have to pay those ad hoc. 
And I believe that hiring uh, those kind of services on um, on uh, as needed basis, they come as much more expensive if they were to be included in a full wrap service contract. So, so the whole dollar per kilowatt per year thing is very sometimes misleading for asset owners and for the industry because uh, it does not reflect all the maintenance activities a solar power plant need uh, to perform well or perform as it should. Yeah, and, and, and if, if anybody wants a breakdown, we, we used to have a visual of pancakes, preventive maintenance, corrective maintenance, ancillary services, and then additional services and, and how those costs sort of, if you look at that, you know, if you want to go to a place and order your breakfast one pancake at a time, you're probably going to pay more. Than yeah, if you buy all three. <laughs> for the combo, you're going to right? pay less. Yeah, you know, and, and and this is really the same way, but if, but if somebody wants a real good breakdown, we do have a previous power players on the true cost of O&M that like sort of gets into those layers and why contract costs are lower than off contract costs which are then the next cost and then going to a full outside entity even costs even more and why and how you structure things to get to a lowest cost but yeah. you know that you know beyond sort of this effect sizing of plants makes a difference because it defines whether or not an individual plant generates enough man hours to be manned as a mm -hmm. constantly manned facility versus an unmanned facility. At Origis, we draw the line between DG and O&M at about 40 plus or minus megawatts because below 40 megawatts, you go to a dispatch model because it doesn't generate enough megawatts. This broad speaking, you know, scope and the equipment and batteries and things like that may move the needle, but you can't, you don't have enough man hours to man it full time. And what that means is you're dispatching and it's becoming part of a broader group of sites that is sharing those resources that are dispatching across them. What does that mean? That means that when the technician gets there, they may or may not be familiar with it, uh, from as familiar with the site as if it's their general workday, which means every time they need, well, where's the spare parts at? Where is this site at? What mm -hmm. type of inverter is this? How are and that's these? Time. That's, and that's time. That's time. The other thing, and that's money. And the other thing that drives the time and money is, and I always imagine, you remember the old Toonsis, the driving cat? The cat like would like, it was an old Saturday Night Live skit. They had this cat that would be driving. It was hilarious. But I always think of that. I think of Toonsis driving out to these sites and you're paying that cat, whether he's fixing an inverter or whether he's driving. So the driving time, the windshield time, as we call it, heavily burdens contracts that are dispatch based. Correct. So when I have, the efficiency is much lower than uh, when, yeah. Exactly, because that technician is on the job and on the clock from the time he gets in his vehicle, right? When yes. we have sites that are manned, just like working in any office, just like the office you're in today and the office I'm sitting in today, they start working when they arrive at their place of work in the site that morning. So that transit time is not part of the cost structure. That's correct. And and Michael, not uh, and, and because you touched on that point of time, um, I believe that something else that we have uh, we need to have in mind is that a lot of the activities uh, that are very labor intensive, mm -hmm. like let's say the vegetation management part and the module washing part, they what we found out is that they are usually not included in the those let's say service contracts, and that's. Uh, a very significant portion of the annual um, uh, 
the annual cost to maintain a solar power plant. So the the, the numbers that we, we we calculated, and that's a, a global average, is that those activities are between uh, 25 and 30 percent of a solar power plant. Of course, it will depend on where it's located. If it's a desert area, of course, you're going to have a lot more uh, time dedicated to 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 wash the panels. Um, but those activities that are vital for 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 the the the, the project, uh, they are not included. So it, again, uh, we are yeah. yeah. When we talk about those the, those figures, the dollar per kilowatt, they are not including everything that you're going to have to do in your in your in your project. And I, I'm sorry, I, I sound like a broken record, but I believe that's one of no. the main. Uh, uh, concerns uh, that uh, the industry should have here in terms of like benchmarking themselves and uh, yeah. Well, that's the best thing you could do, right? When people aren't hearing the things you say is you you just have to keep repeating. repeating. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Look, we see the same things, right? In ancillary services, module washing, vegetation management, uh, aerial inspections, you know, uh, in some cases high voltage, you know, you know, uh, erosion control and mitigation, those types of things on a site typically for utility scale sites at least, um, constitute anywhere from 30 to 50% of your annual OPEX cost. So if you have a quote all in contract where all of your PM and all of your CM is at $3 as an example, which we could talk about the relative yeah. or you know veracity of that as well. And we'll do that next. You can assume on a worst case basis, there's at least another $3 on the ancillary services, which puts, you, yeah. which puts you at around six. What I have always said, really going back, I think almost seven years, and, and it's even more true today because of inflation, is utility scale sites are going to end up falling somewhere on an all-in basis between six to eight dollars a kilowatt or six to eight thousand dollars a megawatt for your OPEX. That includes everything, right? That you need to do. That includes all those things. And and I know you and I talked about you know cost versus pricing. Like, what are you guys seeing in your modeling? Yeah, so um, that's exactly how we started the conversation, and I can share some numbers with you. Um, we the, the the latest survey we did was last year, and we are about to start the, the a new one this year to look back in 2021. So looking back to 2020, what we've seen is that uh, prices for let's say it's an average for utility scale, we found out that the price was around nine dollars per kilowatt. And that's including everything. Okay, just to to, to make sure we are here. What size plants were you looking at? Um, because it's an average, I would say a hundred megawatt uh, project size. Yeah. Um, and our model that shows the cost—that's the pricing, right? That's the nine point three. The cost was about eight point six. So, um, when we look into this eight point six versus nine point three. Okay, so what is the margin for those service providers that have performance guarantees? You know, in the in their contracts, they have to uh, they are committed uh, to uh, deliver a certain annual energy production number uh, to their clients. Uh, so that's um, why a lot of the the takeaway from this exercise is how to keep 
the O&M um, value chain uh, profitable. Uh, and that's the interest of all the players because the asset owners, they need companies to back them up on the O&M side and provide the high quality uh, kind of uh, service. Uh, so we've seen, uh, and I don't even know the margin, the 9.3 to 8.6, I need a calculator here, but uh, that's not attractive uh, yeah. for for uh, companies providing these kind of services. No, I, and, and look, I'll tell you like flat out, one of the things we talk about here or just all the time is we will not take a deal that's underwater. I tell our business development folks all the time, there's two ways to win. You either get the contract or you turn a, a terrible contract over to a competitor that's going to lose money. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not going to sign it, but if they're going to sign it, I'm just going to wait for the owner to be unhappy and it'll be back on the market. And hopefully the owner will have a clearer understanding of what those costs really are and finally be willing to actually pay those to get the quality of service that they need. Exactly, and and we did we did the, the projection of how this 8.6 will look um, at uh, by 2030, and we are projecting a six percent increase. Mm -hmm. So over the last five years, every year that when we we do our survey, we see those prices going down every year. Uh, now, last year was the first time we saw prices kind of stabilizing. So. Uh, uh, we didn't see a, much of a change, like a, maybe a delta of 2% uh, down or uh, even up. Uh, but for the next years, we don't expect prices to go down. And that's something that was a message that I gave in some conferences this year, um, one of them uh, being Solar Plaza that uh, we, we, we met. Uh, yep. That's a tough message uh, to give uh, to to asset owners, just because the industry is so used to have costs going down, both capex and opex. Yeah. Uh, but this dynamic is, is about to change, I'm afraid, and uh, we should all be um, just uh, ready for that. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, much like a lot of things in our world today. You know, we were at that conference. I don't know if you may or may not have been in, but I was on a panel and I gave that message directly and without, <laughs> you know, qualification. Yeah. You know, if somebody's willing to tell you something that you don't want to hear, that risks that they may not get your your business, you really should listen because they're probably telling you the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If somebody is telling you exactly what you want to hear, they're probably lying to you. Or yeah. at least they're telling you they're they're leaving details out, like, hey, sure, we can do this at this price. That's great, no problem. But we carved up the contract, so a ton of stuff is out of scope, and there's all these other costs you're not paying for, and you're going to find out about those later, and you're going to be surprised, you know, because that is the way the O and M industry has responded to the cost down pressures that have come from the solar industry, the owners and developers as a whole, they've responded by continuing to give lower and lower prices. But there's, but everyone needs to understand that is not coming out of margins that the O&M companies are making because they're already squeezed as far as they can go and have been for a long time. It yeah. is coming out of scope. It is coming out of manning. It is coming out of training and tooling and expertise. It is being carved out in all these other areas so that it comes around later um, as a surprise. 
Um, that's, that's very much correct, Michael. Yeah. And, I, and I appreciate you saying all this because coming from a service provider that you are living this uh, every day, right? Yeah. And uh, one uh, one thing that I want to to uh, to really emphasize here is that uh, we are we seeing are a lot of technology improvement, um, and we consider that in our model. So uh, we consider that uh, our urotomography, for example, is increasingly uh, replacing IV, IV curve tracing done by technicians with a lot of time spent uh, uh, in, the, in, the, and, in the field. And risk, safety risk. Correct. Yeah. So we we have this all modeled, but still with the inflation and with the labor challenges we are facing now, uh, it does not offset uh, all the, the cost increase that we are going to see over the years, the technology improvement. Uh, are, so, are there technologies, digital, physical, whatever out there that that shows some promise in, in maybe helping us to achieve some lower costs and some efficiencies that aren't possible today? Yeah, what so I believe aerotermography has been the like the biggest disruptor, right? That's yeah. something that is really being used now, is commercially available, and we can see already the results in terms of how many hours of technicians uh, we we can uh, we can save uh, with uh, using this kind of technology. Moving forward, I believe that uh, focusing on the two kind of very labor intensive tasks, uh, module washing and vegetation management, uh, we have some promising technologies out there. Uh, they are not yet. Um, commercially available in uh, where it makes sense in terms of capex investment and the return you're going to have uh, from uh, those investments. You don't think so? Which which ones specific? like what have you guys looked at specifically in your modeling? Because there's a, I'm seeing a lot of new things out yeah. there. So I'm curious what you guys have, have actually. Looked yeah, at. Um, so uh, we've seen some waterless uh, uh, module washing uh, technologies. Um, and maybe because they have not been deployed uh, in a very high scale kind of uh, way, we we can't uh, come up with numbers really uh, justifying uh, this investment yet. So we don't have that many examples. So we've seen um, waterless uh, module washing uh, uh, solutions. We've seen some robotic uh, lawn mowing uh, solutions as well. Uh, but still, they they are not 100%, at least the technologies that we have access to. Uh, you, you still need someone, you still need a technician there overseeing uh, what the machine is doing or even kind of uh, correcting some uh, missed places, especially for the vegetation management, depending on the terrain and depending on how uh, how you have your, 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 your uh, modules um, distributed. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you agree with that or. I mean, honestly, I, I, I will respectfully agree to some and disagree with a little. So let me tell you yeah. what I see out there. And and you're right. Some of the waterless washing uh, equipment and techniques, uh, they, you know, even the robotic techniques like SunPower, you know, uh, really pioneered sort of robotic uh, yeah. cleaning when I was there, but that required you, it required people to move these Correct. units from yeah. row to row. So it didn't completely eliminate uh, uh, you, know, yeah. you have some companies like, um, and I'll use them as an example, Solar Clino, which is actually out of Europe, that is working on robotic solutions that are fully autonomous, that don't require that human 
intervention because ultimately the way you save money on these things is by eliminating labor Correct. right um and and then if you eliminate labor then the incremental cost of those additional washings mowings and everything else it comes down to some number near zero which then allows you to do them more often and drive production right as a result so there's sort of a win-win out of that when you approach it that way um but even solar cleanos products today i would agree with you i think they're getting better and better the autonomous cleaning solutions um but but they're still not fully autonomous. There's still that human that has to be involved, you know, as an example. You also have like on the vegetation management side, really all the big providers, everybody from Caterpillar to John Deere to Husqvarna are all working on these different solutions. And there's folks like Husqvarna that are trying to scale up what are essentially residential, like they're kind of like Roomba kind of things, you know, that go out and do that mm -hmm. stuff. But, but those don't, it's like trying to swarm attack a site. It just doesn't work. And they're, you know, they're not designed to live in the field in those harsh environments for that long. You have, um, then you have other companies like Scythe Robotics um, or, or some others that, you know, are basically gas units that have been made remote control mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. or autonomous, but you still have to deliver them to the site, drive them to the site, drop them off and move to That's the next location. Point. Right. Yeah. So there's still that involved. Again, it's still not fully optimized. Um, you, you know, the only one that I've seen in the space um, that really is optimized for solar is, is Renew Robotics. That one is pretty good, but I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily economically work out for every site in every location on every scale. You know, that's something you have to understand what the pros and cons and the gives and takes are and, and model it. Um, but, but that one at least is optimized for solar because it, it does operate in the field fully autonomous and, and theoretically doesn't require human intervention on a regular basis, which but it all depends on how the terrain is. And, uh, yes. if, yeah, so, I, I mean, I believe we are again in the right direction, uh, but we still need a little bit more of time to see, uh, those uh, technologies, uh, kind of improving and, and, and that's happening so fast. Um, and we have done, um, uh, Michael, if I may here, uh, just invite uh, our uh, the audience of this podcast maybe to uh, visit our website. We have done a ton Please. of studies. What's the, what's the URL? Where, where can they find it? Tell us. Yeah, so if you go to woodmac.com, uh, you have the power and renewable session in the web page. And uh, there you can see kind of the solar uh, section of it and then O&M. And we've done a ton of uh, comparisons and how much could uh, an asset owner save uh, if they use those emerging technologies. Uh, there are lots of reports available there. Um, so yeah, I welcome all of you to to take a look and uh, reach out if you have uh, any questions. I'm glad to to. I I may go take a look at it just so I yeah. can call and tell you. <laughs> I, where I think you've seen most of them, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So you know, I I have generally seen over time utility scale sites and, and in this case i mean manned sites so we're talking about you can at about 40 to 50 megawatts you can get a person you really need two people to do nfpa compliant mm -hmm. uh nfpa 70 echo compliant operations so that takes you to like the 7500 megawatt size or so so you really see efficiencies on costs in that 100 megawatts and bigger where you get into that six to eight range i think when mm -hmm. you go below that 
that's what drives your numbers up above, you know, eight, as you said. And then on the DG side of things where you've got the Tunsis, the driving cat and your chart and you're paying for him, uh, you know, while he's transiting back and forth, we typically see DG to go anywhere from eight to 10 or even more when you get down to like rooftops and carports yeah. and things that are more complicated and are even and are quite small. Um, I think I think you guys see similar numbers, but do you if somebody goes to your website and looks at that, do they see regional? Do you have it broken down with regional variances? Because, you know, dry type cleaning of panels, for instance, doesn't work in the southeast because it doesn't take off sap. Right. Yeah, that's so right. Do you see regional variances in, in your and is that in the office of people look at those resources? Yeah, so that's a very good question and something that uh, we've done again analysis on. We've compared, let's say, uh, high labor states with low labor uh, cost states. Uh, we did yeah. a very interesting uh, uh, analysis on California and uh, South Dakota. And um, we do have those variances does not cover all states in the US because we also do global, right? So you can see very clear, for example, Chile, uh, yeah. which is a desert uh, compared to, let's say, U.S., right? Yeah. Um, but we do uh, a, we do a certain analysis over a certain states uh, in the U.S., and you can see that difference. And it's related to a lot of different factors. It's related to labor cost. It's related to the need to uh, module washing or not, vegetation. It changes so much. And also the, the concentration of megawatts per square feet, right? Because again, the uh, the density uh, of uh, of power also uh, impacts the cost to maintain a site. Yeah, I mean, that's where bifacials help, right? Because what I see from an acreage ratio, you know, the bigger plants on monofacial will run anywhere from seven and a half to eight and a half acres per megawatt. Mm -hmm. And when you get into very densely and efficiently made large scale, um, you know, bifacial plants, they can run anywhere from six and a half to seven and a Absolutely. half acres yeah. per megawatt. And that, that's because you have what I call the interstitial areas, which is really a biological term, but it's like the connective tissue of the site. It's the area along the fence lines and the roadways and around the AC stations and things that like that. That makes a difference in the are Not under the arrays. That's right. And the bigger the plant, the less uh, on a ratio basis you have of those interstitial areas versus what's underneath the arrays. So you get just a little more efficiency out of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we're we're over time uh, a little bit, which is which is great because I always like to pack as much in as possible, especially when I get a real expert like you here to really talk to us. Um, but you know, one I'd like for you to touch back and give your website name again because I really want people to go and see those resources. Um, but I also would like, you know, do you have any sort of final words to? owners, financiers, developers, you know, the folks that are really focusing on these costs and trying to understand them. Yeah, so website, uh, <laughs> www.woodmac.com. You're gonna see the power and renewable section and you can go to, to solar and you're gonna find um, not only our forecast, but um, O&M kind of analysis and technology analysis. So I invite you all to, to access the website and uh, yeah, and enjoy because it's uh, we have a lot of information there. Um, regarding uh, final takeaways, 
I'm going to sound uh, as a broken record again. Um, <laughs> just um, my my message here is really to uh, start comparing apples to apples. Uh, don't don't be misled by a dollar per 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 kilowatt figure. Uh, I believe each site uh, is different. Um, also considering that they are aging, right? We, we have a lot of uh, sites now that are 10 years old and uh, they will require even more uh, kind of special attention given that inverters can uh, should be repowered. Even the project should be repowered, inverter uh, should be replaced. And that's also a special cost on the, yeah. uh, on the structure of uh, maintaining a, a solar power plant. So, um, I believe that each project uh, is different and having performance guarantees by service providers makes a difference in the long term. Um, just make sure you're looking into all aspects to make your solar power plant have the, the optimal AEP you expect. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah, just uh, be very realistic about um, what to expect and uh, to have the returns you're looking for. Yeah, I'll tell you, I I, uh, I I disagree on some level with performance guarantees coming from operators, uh, but you know we and we can definitely dig into that subject. Oh would yeah, you, that would be interesting. Another time, <laughs> sure. and let's let's debate on this one. Let's do something we disagree about. Would you yeah. like to come back and do another one on that? Oh yeah, for sure. We'll talk about performance guarantees versus availability, response times. Does that is that something that you guys have? I, a lot I would of love that. On? Actually, I come from the wind industry, and the wind industry works with performance warranties, right? Uh, it comes from the turbine OEMs into very long term service contracts, uh, and that's been a successful uh, yeah. kind of business model. So yeah, let, let's let's talk about it. But those I'm also come from the OEMs in the wind industry, which is different structurally from solar. Listen, I don't want to get into it now. Let's <laughs> save a little bit of that fun fun disagreement for later. But yeah. everybody who's listening to this, you heard it here first. Layla and I, Layla and I are going to disagree and fight over this topic in a later session. But for today, at least, I am so glad that we have you here. You have shown yourself to be an expert and a power player in this industry, and you are welcome to be here on Power Players anytime. Thank you so much, Michael. It was really uh, interesting to, to share my views with you and also hear from your experience uh, at Origins. And looking forward to discuss the next topic about performance warranties, wind versus solar. <laughs> All right, we're going to schedule this one uh, with you here soon. So get your boxings, boxing gloves ready and uh, and we'll go at it over that topic. Sounds Thank good. you so much, Layla, for your time. Thanks for having me. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Sure. Take care. Sure. Now. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at orgisservices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.